Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some Welcome awesome. Welcome back to show friends. Today we have a good one for you. This is the first half of the Rob Bell conversation, and I think it's really just going gonna, gonna to blow your mind. It is absolutely outstanding. We'll put the second part out in, uh, in sometime soon. We'll put that second part out shortly, uh, but I think you're going to really enjoy this. Now, for those of you who keep up with Rob Bell on Instagram, you will know that he and his sidekick, Pete Holmes, were at the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology just a few weeks ago, and uh, they are our sponsor this month. So let me tell you a little bit about them. The Seattle School of Theology and Psychology believes that who you are is essential to the work you're called to do. Their embodied and relational approach trains the whole person for their unique role of transforming the world. The Seattle School offers graduate degrees in divinity, counseling psychology and theology and culture and professional development certificates for new parish leaders and lay counselors. You can learn more about them by going to theseattleschool.edu and you'll learn all about the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology. You can also go to our Facebook page, Newsworthy with Norsworthy, and there is a link on there. And if you haven't liked us on Facebook, go ahead and do it. It'll be a fun way to spend your evening. So uh, like I said, Seattle School of Theology and Psychology, I think you're going to really enjoy their stuff. Go check them out. And without further ado, here it is, part one. Rob Bell, Richard Beck, let's do it. So awesome. Welcome back to the show, friends. Today, we're coming to you from Laguna Beach, California, and we have not one but two guests. Returning to the show, Dr. Richard Beck and Mr. Rob Bell. Welcome to the show, guys. It's great to be here. Glad to be here. Be here. Yes. Uh, we have been talking <laughs> for the last 40 minutes, hour, however long, and I feel like we should finally hit record on this. It's your show. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it, it really is my show because it has my name We spent it. a lot of time talking about Richard Rohr. We did. And everyone on the podcast loves Richard Rohr, which mm-hmm. they should. I, I actually, his, uh, his preacher is a, is a good friend of mine, and he told me how rude I was because I introduced Richard one time as not the favorite psychologist on the podcast ever, and not the favorite Richard on the podcast ever, but the second favorite psychologist, second favorite Richard, but our favorite psychologist named Richard. And I thought that was rude, but it's not. We've had Richard Rohr on here. It's true. It's true. Yeah, and my mm-hmm. dad's a psychologist. He's my favorite. Yeah, right? that's true. I'll, I'll play second fiddle all the way down. Yeah, that's line, yeah. that's not a bad thing but at all. But your dad's got to be the favorite psychologist. Yeah. Oh, I need to set up the podcast. Okay, <clears> let <throat> me tell you why we're doing this podcast. We have both of you here because a few months ago, Rob had a book. Rob and Kristen. Kristen can't be here today, unfortunately. I just texted her. Do you think she might show up? She might show up. I have an extra microphone. Awesome. I have an extra microphone. Okay, so Kristen and Rob had a book called The Zimzum of Love. We talked about it. While I was there... I meet Rob for the first time, and he says, hey, guess what? I'm reading Unclean, which is your book. It's one of your books, That's Unclean. Yeah, yeah. my first book. And so I come back to Abilene, Texas. I love that book. I do too. I go to my dad's office, which is right next to your office, and I walk over and say, hey, Richard, guess what? I just talked to Rob Bell. Now, if you've never been to Richard's office, which I guess you haven't, it's <laughs> like— You know, there, the last time you were out in Abilene, there's Texas. Like, okay, can you just imagine like— uh, like B.F. Skinner, some of his stuff, paraphernalia around, or some psychologist. I don't know who the experimental theology or experimental psychology guy, some French guy, right? Every one of your listeners is going, oh, yeah, I can picture B.F. Skinner's yeah, office. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the Wait, paraphernalia, I can picture that. That's not your childhood? 
what is it like syringes and <laughs> skeletons and no, okay, so boxes of sand? No, what would this you, paraphernalia you know, be? B.F. Skinner raised his kids in a in like a box. Yeah. So what I'm saying is that you give no affection. You, you, you boxes. You, yeah, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he was a behaviorist. He would. Yeah. He didn't want to touch his kids. He raised them like in this. It was called the air crib. And I'm sure they that worked like, out really well for them. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Okay. So like I was Very saying, healthy. so there's cribs with babies <laughs> who are not getting affection, and there's all this Catholic paraphernalia. It's you know it's like it's like the people from Cracker Barrel converted to Catholic. That's what your office is like. And then there's a whole shelf. (laughs) There's a whole shelf of Numa videos. Yeah, that's true. And I was like, Richard, you like Rob. I'm a fan. Rob likes Richard. And so you know what I did? I sent a word out to our friend Zach Lynn. We all love Zach. We Mm -hmm. do love Zach. Do you know he's got a new EP coming out? Like two weeks, right? You heard it. I have. It's so good. Desert Wicked Desert. Wretched Desert. Wretched Desert. Oh, cool. It. I don't know if like, I'm going to have... Did it surprise you how good it was when you heard it? He sent to me, I was like, wow, this is really good. And it's... I know your dream has always been to have Lady Gaga rip off some of your stuff. There's a whole backstory, which we'll need to go into later. Okay. But it sounds like Zach's like been reading your stuff, and it's kind of worked into his music. Am I fair to say that? Oh, interesting. We'll talk, I'll talk to Zach about it. Why, yeah. why is that? What's it about? What's, what's it about? His, it so, it sounds like he's been... Well, I'll talk to him about okay. it. Okay, all right. We'll have him when it on. comes out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Us speculating about someone else's lyrics when you actually know the person who wrote them. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> this is so good. Okay. So I sent a text to Zach and I said, hey, do you think we should bring these two gentlemen together? And he said, I think it's a great idea. And so we made this podcast happen. We want to bring you guys. And it's almost like a theology and psychology mashup. But to say that you're just psychology would be underselling your work. And Rob... Lord knows you're going to bring up physics and... It's been mashed up a long time now. <laughs> it's been, it's been, yes. The mashup did not begin today. No. It, it, <laughs> exactly. Uh, so let's just start. How did you get to like read Beck's stuff for the first time? Uh, Zach started sending me Richard's blog. Oh. Like, and I was like, oh my goodness, this guy's awesome. Yeah. And then uh, Shane Hips had been reading Unclean. Oh, yes. So I was like, oh, this is fantastic. Yeah. Sh- Shane Hips. He's yeah, yeah, he, he, follow, he followed up. Was he was he at Mars? Yeah, okay, yeah, we okay, were there yeah, for a couple for years mm-hmm. together. Yes, okay. I, I love Shane. He's great. Mm-hmm. So he introduced you the work a while back. When did you first get uh, introduced to, to Rob's work? Oh, at the beginning. At the Vel- beginning. Velvet Elvis. I feel like I'm like a yeah, matchmaker yeah. doing a dating yeah, yeah. thing. No, no, no. I read so that. So tell me and, about uh, yourself. Um, yeah, I read that when it first came out and loved it. And so followed that from, you know, in the videos. And, and those were huge at, at, at our school, you know, because yeah. the students were... Were uh, they're using that in chapel and um, and so I've read every book that came out that you put out. Wow! So, yeah, I feel like you should give him a hug. It's, right it's, now. it's amazing. An, it, yeah, no, it's yeah. great expectation. You know, Ron Bell's got another book coming out. So, yeah, that's know. amazing. Yeah, yeah, I turned in a new book yesterday. Did you really? Mm-hmm. Can anything you're going to give us about that? Is it a? It's called How to Be Here. Really? Yeah, about presence. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah, how, how how to not feel like your life is passing you by. How to not feel like you're skimming the surface of your own life. How to feel like you're right here. Yeah, and like yeah. this moment is not only enough, but it's, it's more than enough. What, what made you pick that topic? Why did you want to write I that book? I think it's the great disease of the modern age. Everybody's on their phones. No, I agree. Yeah. There's this fantastic rabbinic midrash about Moses and the burning bush. And it's not like he suddenly discovers a bush that started burning. It's been burning the whole time. He just didn't see it. Yes, it's mm-hmm. like in Moses, somebody's finally moving slowly enough to see it. So the question is, what are the burning bushes you're passing every day? And it feels like 
this is the great, we have more information, more technology, more opportunity. We're, we're hyper connected. Mm -hmm. And yet how many people they're, they're asked to describe their mindset or their mental framework. It's like, it's like a ping pong. It's just, just yeah. all over the place in there instead of we're right here, right we're now. nowhere else. And that regret comes from the past and anxiety comes from the future. And when you're only here, I had a head injury when I was 30, I hit my head water skiing, doing flips and had a closed head injury and didn't know who I was and had really? to be introduced to my life. So I had to, these are your kids. This is your house. You're a pastor. I sat by the hour and asked Kristen questions about our life. And when she would answer, it would be familiar. Like, yeah, almost yeah. like, I, how did I not know this? Yeah. So as the book starts, the first, uh, yeah. So the book comes out of something happened to me when I was 30. You're okay. You're 30. You're water skiing. You had started Marsville by then. I've been going yes. for a couple of years. Yeah, and I was working all the time like you're supposed to. Yes. I was a good American. Good American. Okay. a pastor. So you combine all that, and you combine a tradition that didn't really teach, you know, the emotion boundaries or right. emotional tools to deal with. You're 30, and your church in two years has exploded, and you're learning and growing and evolving and seeing things you hadn't seen before, and there's this giant institution that's growing up around you and mm -hmm. you're and all i knew is you just run faster and then, and then i hit my head and all of a sudden i'm staring at shafts of dust coming through the window and my wife made me a burrito and i could taste spatially every one of the spices and like pick them out and i know what you're thinking you're thinking this is why people do drugs <laughs> um, i had like a peak <laughs> It was like a peak experience. Yeah. And my brain was almost like trying to put itself back together so it didn't have capacities for past or future. It only had right now. And it, it, um, I would weep at how overwhelmingly beautiful everything is and the depth of the present moment because we weren't racing to the next moment. We were only able to be here. Wow. Yeah, so that's what happened that's to amazing. me. I was in an intramural rodeo my senior year of college in West Texas. And... Uh, I was on a bareback Bronco. I was told, and I landed on my head, and I woke up the next day, and I'm like I was throwing up and everything. And um, did you say intramural rodeo? Yeah. yeah. Did your university not have rodeos for intramurals? I, our university in Texas they have intramural rodeos. Why like, wouldn't like the the most famous thing at ACU yeah. is watching a girls' club do the dress a goat? Yeah. You ever see this? Why is this so weird? They, they, they let a goat out, and you have to. <laughs> Dress it, yeah. Put pants on it and put a shirt on it. And yeah. Where did you that's, go that's to school? That's you... entertainment in West Texas. Yeah. I feel like that's pretty standard. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> I was so far off the cultural grid. Weird. That I'm only, I know. So very weird. Go. Wheaton, right? Is that where you did undergrad? And they didn't have up in Chicago? I get. <laughs> huh. That's weird. It is. Yeah. So, like I was saying. So after, anyway, your, after I know. you've been bucked off the Bronco. Yeah, but the weird thing is like I had the concussion. I woke up. I was throwing up. Mm. And uh, I didn't. I didn't write a book after that. I didn't either. It's taken fifteen years. Oh, okay. So I still have time. So two years from now, I can do that. And <laughs> but but in that book, so it sounds like that was an experience. But you've come back to that, and now that has to be something that's intentionally cultivated. It almost like it created a taste. Yes. Okay. For a food I didn't know existed. Um. What would it be like to to be present? It's almost like you discover a really high staircase and the first time you walk it you're out of breath but you're like if i walk the staircase every day i'd build up some muscles yeah, right. yeah what would it be like to take steps i have to to become more present and so it's 15 years of just learning 
and growing. Well, you gotta, you gotta give me something. Like, what is the, what's the step? Like, what, are, what's the muscle memory that I need to develop to be present? That in most moments there's a one, and what's overwhelming is the six and the nineteen and the forty-two. So right now, when you're thinking about what you're gonna do now, but then you got the thing later, and you got the thing tomorrow, and that email for then. But in most moments, what's the one thing you can do now? So really basic stuff. The first number is always a one. And so most people, when you ask them right now, where are you? They'll be like, I'm on my email. My brain is thinking about mm -hmm. the recycling you take out. I'm hurting from that thing that that person said mm -hmm. that I'm still carrying around because it kind of stung. Yet I am also have a running commentary on why can't I just blow off that comment they said. Yeah. So it's not just a thing they said that hurts. It's I should be bigger than this. And I should be able to blow that off. So most people ask them at any moment, where are you? Um, I'm stuck on this mistake I think I made that may come back to haunt me or not. Mm -hmm. I'm stressed about this rent, so that's coming up. Yeah. Um, but you can only be here, and you can only do the next right thing. And so for that's many good. people, you just immediately stop and say, well, what's the one here? Because the first number is always a one. The one right here is to have this conversation. Okay, yeah. and that's all we can do right now is have this conversation. I was rereading on the way out. I think I told you this um, uh, what do we, what do we talk about? We talk about God in the chapter hum. Mm -hmm. I, lo I, I love the the image of hum that there's this kind of yeah. vibration, this kind of sacred rhythm or mm -hmm. running through everything, and it connect. It sounds like it connects with what you're talking about. Attending to that, yes, um, yeah. There's always more going on here. Exactly right. Yeah. So that's the the Jane Fonda quote from like a. It's like a Rolling Stone. Oh yeah, Stone. I can feel the reverence humming in me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so mm -hmm. good. It reminded me of. Uh, I'm sure you read uh, uh, N.T. Wright's uh, Simply Christian mm -hmm. when he talked about like spirituality is like bubbling up and there's there's something going on here. You you read that? I, I think you wrote a blurb on it. Oh, did I? I think you wrote a blurb for that. <laughs> then I did. <laughs> I wouldn't blurb without reading it. So. Okay. Okay. Well, but even like that quote, there's the. <laughs> So there's like this, this reverence, this, there's something that's humming right here. Well, in, in your book, The Authenticity of Faith, which I, like all your work, I think if I was going to say like just a couple chapters, like the first part of The Authenticity of Faith might be my favorite thing you've ever written. And that book doesn't get nearly enough love. It, it doesn't. I don't even remember what the first chapter is. What was the <laughs> that's first why, chapter? That's yeah, why. That's yeah, why yeah, it doesn't yeah, get yeah, love. I, don't you know, I haven't even okay, read it. But you do. Okay, you do some work. <laughs> Does where Luke you... know more about us than we Probably. do? Probably. <laughs> Does a lot of research. Well, Richard, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> when did this book come out? It came out right, right after. Why are you asking him? It came out you right after. He has no clue. <laughs> I don't There's know. No I, don't I want to read it. Is, so. I can't wait to read okay, it. Okay, so what he does is he takes like Freud's critique of faith as though it's wishful thinking. Yeah, yeah. Is faith fulfillment? Wish fulfillment. Yeah, it's faith just for the... That's a psychology of religion? Yeah, mm -hmm. psychology. So, so it's trying to take on Freud. Was Freud right when he said that religious belief is for people who are afraid of death and, and yeah. death of consolation? Yeah. And so you, you so. kind of run the thread through mm -hmm. like the new atheists and they're kind of building right. upon that. And I, I don't know why I'm looking at you telling you what you wrote, but that's what happened. Feel free. So you, okay. you, you, you've already told Rob what I, he's I'm, written. <laughs> <laughs> I interviewed Tom Wright a couple months ago, and uh, I read a quote to him, and he goes, well, that sounds like something I would say. And I was like, it sounds like something you say because you wrote it. And he goes, okay, that sounds right. All right. I think if you've written a million words, yeah. you he, might, you he, know. He's written like some like 60, 70 books. Yeah. I'll give him a break. Unbelievable. By the way, one time I had dinner with the lead singer of Violent Femmes. You know? Okay. You know Violent Femmes? Uh-uh. I've, you know heard, I've heard some of the Yeah, I know. Legendary I know band. Yeah. Um, and let me go out like a blister in the sun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I pull up to, to pick him up to eat. 
and he's reading a book on a park bench. I said, what are you reading? He says, Freud, psychology, religion. <laughs> Is that like, yeah, of course. Yeah, 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 of course. Like when the, you the meet somebody you read, who yeah. you sort of yeah. admired for <laughs> most of your adolescence, just and then you Freud. meet them and they're reading Freud and they say it like that. <laughs> I was just reading so Freud. So great. That seemed just like my childhood. I don't know why I told that story other than it just makes me laugh that that. Can I tell you, we appreciate you saying that. Okay, great. In this moment, we appreciated <laughs> that. Okay, you brought up the, the, the hum, and then I went to authenticity of faith. Right. It seems like you have Jane Fonda. Jane Fonda, right? Mm-hmm. She was saying there's this hum. And then you have Freud saying, well, that's just, okay, wish fulfillment. Like, you hear that hum, and you want it to be that. How, like, on one hand, you have some people who go, yes, there's this spirituality bubbling up. There's this hum, and we're going to listen to it. And then you have the other camp is saying, I eh, just wish fulfillment. You want that to be there. Like, how do you bring those two things together and make sense of them? Well, in the book— I, I, I pit Freud against William James, and I think I don't know if you read a lot of William James, mm-hmm. but uh, the varieties of religious experience, mm-hmm. and, and I, I get the contrast between those two psychologists is, is that James had this kind of radical openness to everything, to to the point where he kind of worried some people. Like he he was open to very skeptical guy, but but um, but had relationships with like spiritualists, uh, and there's a great story when when kind of a great earthquake happened in california that he kind of fell to his knees to just experience the, the rumbling of the earth like mm. he was just radically open oh. to experience and i think i think freud was always trying to explain everything i think he had a very closed psychoanalysis was a very closed theoretical system that everything had to get crammed in that system and so i think it's their temperaments ultimately I really think, i think yeah i think i think james had just an openness and he was he felt that there was something, and I think that connects it with kind of that idea that there's something going on in the, in the experience in the world that he was always very open to. Interesting. Um, well, your, your guy, uh, Jonathan Haidt, wrote the book Happiness Hypothesis. <clears throat> Is that right? Jonathan, yeah. He's okay, a psychologist. So, yeah, so uh, UVA, right? I think that's where I he teaches. So. Anyway, uh, it's a great book. But he talks about the cortical lottery. Like some people just, they are just more optimistic and they're just more apt to see things and be maybe present in them. Is that like where you're going? Like just some people have the right temperament and they can hear this hum and go, yeah, there's God in that. And others go, eh, wish fulfillment. I think there are some people that are, I guess, wired in this, in that sense. Like I've seen it even in my, my kids, my children, you know, some are yeah. just wired differently in the way that they might be attuned to spiritual things. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's closed everybody, but I think some people kind of maybe have a head start. What do you think, that. Rob? Intuitive artists. I mean, I think I think uh. that's I think that's obvious. Uh. Yeah, some people are hypersensitive. Yeah, they just their radar is like turned way up to eleven. They pick up everything, which also mm-hmm. means they pick up sorrow and pain and yeah. pick up everything. When somebody says, when somebody asks you as a psychologist, oh yeah, it's just it's just your neurons firing. It's just the divine is nothing more than physiological, psychological reactions to the pain of the world and making sense of it how do you how do you answer that what's your sort of elevator answer to uh, the, the the thing i go back to more than anything is um and we talked about this a little bit ahead of time is how it seems like wired into the very fabric of quantum mechanics is this we, we, we were talking about a you know, uh, Telehard de Chardin. Oh my the, goodness! Yeah, I'm, 
Yes. Okay. The answer is yes. <laughs> but huge fan. Yeah. So, but that that somehow consciousness and and, yeah. and pain is is not accidental. I mean, it's it's, it's somehow it's their presence in, intrinsic in embedded in existence, and somehow it all comes together to create human human beings and art and love and all those kinds of things. And so, um. And I, the way he frames it is, you can try to analyze that from the outside. Interiors and interiors right, right, and exteriors. Right. So every cell has an interior. Exactly. Oh, so unbelievable. So that I would appeal to that. I would say that ultimately there's an inside that's just not going to be captured by that description. I mean, that's a fine description yes. from the outside. Yeah. Uh, the inside, yeah. there's not. You're not going to be able to explain with quantum mechanics what 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 it feels like to to have a child or to fall in love or to have your heart broken uh, or to experience grief. So and well so, said. Um, and it continually freaks me out if we're talking about hum mm-hmm. sacredness or whatever that, that somehow that is, you know, there in the universe from the very beginning. That, that the you know, if it, had, <laughs> right, right. If the it whole... has an ins- it's not like it showed up later. It wasn't inserted. It's like it's, <laughs> right, it's, it's, right, it's already right. when the big bang goes off. If that's what happens, somehow implicit in all of that is an ache. Yes. Um, and, I, and I don't think we've science has even remotely figured out how to. Right, right, right. You know, describe that mathematically, reductionistically. Yeah. It's funny in your question about, you know, is it, is, is it wish fulfillment? Yeah. That, that mm-hmm. could sit yeah. alongside, <laughs> like to create an either or there. Right. Of course there's elements of wish fulfillment. Yeah. yeah. Of course you want that to be true. That doesn't, yeah. some, mm-hmm. that doesn't somehow make other truths not true. Mm-hmm. Of course, there's an element of you know what I mean. But what, yeah. like, if I'm hearing that, I'm going, well, it's just like as that is the conclusion of that. What, what well, the, I, yeah, that's to me the 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 binary dualistic mind wants to make it just mm-hmm. instead of mm-hmm. we are complex beings that contain all of these different dimensions, interior and exterior dimensions. And so when people, uh, a woman just wrote the other day, and she's taking a class, a college student wrote, and she's taking a class in physiology and just read somebody saying your idea about there is no altruism because altruism has this Mm -hmm. wonderful sort of brain reward for you just and her whole view of god is shattered instead of well of course your brain it would make sense Mm -hmm. that your brain feels good to move beyond itself in love yeah it why would it surprise you that the brain there's a dimension there is a neurological dimension to altruism you know and no act then can be purely altruistic because the brain likes it well if the brain didn't like it (laughs) you know what i mean nice world like like just you can see this wonderful passionate smart college um you know sophomore and she's just been confronted with all that religion stuff and god and love and all that no 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 it's just your brain likes it and she's been handed these two different you used to think this but but the the reality is yeah, over yeah, here yeah. instead of yeah of course yeah it can all sit side by side okay so i've talked to multiple people who have said the same thing about your work is that they were in that situation where they they had this this faith and then they they uh they face some sort of mental obstacle that makes them think oh maybe what i used to think isn't right and it's actually like a, a, a fair critique of religion or faith. And it starts to like deconstruct, you know, Rory uses the language of construction, deconstruction. And multiple people have said, I, I was faced at a crossroads of either giving up on faith altogether because what I had before didn't work or trying to f- come up with something new. 
And like this third phase, this, this new way, this reconstruction that Roar talks about was something that your work gave them the ability to do that. Like wow. that you were enabled to say, yes, there's critiques from uh, the science community that says altruism is in your brain. And you're able to say, yeah, that's okay. It's like, I'm, I'm cool with that. Or um, I was at a conference and I, I don't feel really proud of myself for the way I handled this, but a guy got up and said to like this large room of people, you know what? People have done archaeological studies and they found evidence that uh, the Red Sea parted and Moses led the Israelites through it. And there are like chariots and like Moses's bracelet or something with his social security number on it that they can trace to Moses or whatever they said. I don't know. <laughs> and, and then I'm, I'm just thinking Pete ends, you know, Pete ends, right? Uh, oh yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you read Pete's stuff and he's going pretty much most archeological evidence is pointing that that might not have like conquest narrative, different story than the Moses, obviously, but uh, that might not have happened, but you can still have faith. And so for some people, they hear that kind of evidence and it just deconstructs all their faith. But there are other people who can hear that and kind of formulate and say there's a different kind of faith that can be reconstructed out of that. Absolutely. And so it seems like that's kind of what a lot of your work does for a lot of people. Would that be fair to say? Oh, wonderful. That's great. Yeah. What is, yeah. <laughs> yes. That was a yes, no question, which I think you're not supposed to do as a <laughs> podcaster. But uh, no, I agree because I think I've seen it. I mean, it's it's helped me, but I see it a lot with students too because because when they encounter your work, they're trying to pick up the pieces of kind of a, yes of a conservative or a evangelical background, and the in the in the the answers that've been given aren't commensurate with the questions they're asking, and they just they just need different ways of thinking and and and, and reinterpreting yeah um, language, and so. That that process of reconstruction, translation, yeah, um, reorientation—I think—is the language yeah, that yeah, Bergman yeah, uses. Mm-hmm. Your lovely wife, Jana, has just brought us some water. Yes, yeah, she's working around in the background. Yes, serving us. Thank you so water. much, Jana. Thank you so much. <laughs> yes, we want to just say thank well, you. I think that a lot of people were were handed a static view of the world. Yeah. They, were, they were handed a static view. Thank you so much. A static view of the universe in which. There is a God who's probably sitting, probably somewhere mm-hmm. on a cloud. Yes. White and beard. that's a caricature, but it also is wherever God is, God is sitting, and then may become involved in this place from time to time. And if you pray enough or sing enough songs, apparently, or if you're good enough, maybe. But, you know, the Holocaust would have been nice, by yeah. the way. And so the, what this static view does is then you do the right thing. Then this divine being, you have this divine being's favor, and away you go. But what we know is pretty much everything around us is always becoming mm-hmm. and changing and growing. So a college student comes, and they're not who they were. They're living oh, in a yeah. bigger, wider, expansive world. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, I think if, if we taught evolution earlier, look at everything. You don't have wings. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, look all around you. Everything is always growing and adapting yeah. in millions and millions of different ways. That's why we're even here. Colors in flowers are developed because they're trying to attract certain insects for pollination. Like, everything is in. And if you look back, like, in, I mean, Hebrew spirituality, like this idea of shalom and this mm-hmm. idea of it's good, it's, it's a living, dynamic reality from the get-go. Trees. Mm-hmm that will make more trees, that will make more trees, that will have fruit, that will have seeds. And so what I think for many people is all of a sudden things change and they panic when not changing is when you die. That's how the entire created order works. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But 
you're not seeing that as hostile to faith. And you're, I'm saying it's, 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 I know it's like the oxygen of faith. Okay. If but, you don't have it, then you end up with people. Um, yeah. I mean, the number of pastors that you know and have heard of who call me and say, I'm in charge of this big machine and I don't <coughs> believe any of it. That's not a good spot to be. I can't even tell you how many of all of those big time folks are in a thing that is inoculates people against change. The moment, Mm -hmm. because how we grow is disruption. We hear something we haven't heard before and we go, oh my word. And everything gets just thrown up in Mm -hmm. the air and then you have to. But for many people, what masquerades as faith is actually a belief affirmation system. We come, the person up front opens the Bible, tells us what we've already heard. A thousand times we all say so-and-so preaches the word. And if somebody did say something new, we would say that's dangerous and get them out of here. We'd fire them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's where I think the Freudian critique is, yes. isn't to be wholly dismissed. Because you do. Absolutely. Because he, he has his finger on something there. But I do think that, the, I do think that idea of it's a, it's a closed system that's, that's adopted because of fear-based reasons and I have all the answers. There, there's something comforting at some point in life when you have that. But then when there's disruption, there's a data point, there's a loss, there's something that, that can't be accommodated, and that blows up, then... Um, so that idea of being closed or open... And I, and I see that kind of trajectory in, in, in your own work, that kind of... That faith is this kind of consistent commitment to being open to experience. Yeah. And I mean, and As it's breaking into the moment. Right. And yeah. Like, you have this moment in the book of... Like even the Bible itself, which is often sort of used to keep people, no, 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 no. You should stay exactly where you are because it's like Peter has this moment when he's being very clear. You know that we're not, we don't go into non-Jews homes. And then he goes to the century. And so there's a moment when he crosses the threshold, when everything, neural pathways have been formed. We don't do this. My people, we don't come into these homes. And then the dream, he step. he has this dream and then he actually goes and he steps into a home. I mean, the Bible is mm-hmm. a, is essentially a library of books of people doing things they hadn't done before because he knows if I don't listen to this vision and I don't mm-hmm. go with them and I don't step over the threshold, something with him, he will die. Now, some people think that, you know, they had this moment and then they look in at people in the same place where they used to be and have like this disdain for them. Like, Oh, I can't believe you're right there. And you, you had a, a section in, um, in love wins about like when you were a kid and you like say the sinner's prayer. Do you remember that? You wrote a, you that happened. You mm-hmm. were a kid once. Okay. Oh, oh, Brain injury. oh, oh, oh. Okay. So you, at the end of Velvet Elvis, when we had gone to a church service, let, let's go to love wins. Okay. Okay. Love wins. You tell about when you were a He's kid. telling you again, what you've written. <laughs> yeah. I have it. I have a quote. If I had no, and what was it? What was I referencing? Okay. You're telling a story about when you were, um, I like that I'm telling you what you were thinking. <laughs> yes. So, Rob, let me tell you what you're thinking. I feel like now, I feel like like my dad when I was a kid. Like Luke, tell me how you're feeling right now, and he's interpreting everything for me. What you're talking about the sinner's prayer, like when you were a kid and you said it, and then in hindsight you look back on it and you see like the the simplicity of it and how you really didn't understand oh, all that. Yeah. But you don't. It doesn't come across like you are disrespecting no, where you came from. You understand like this is like a starting point, and it's a beautiful thing, place to start. Absolutely, transcend and include. Yeah, yeah. all these part, all these things work on you. They shape you. Yeah. yeah. So how do you have that mindset where okay, this is just part of my journey, and maybe I used to think this, but you you're able to embrace that as part of the tradition instead of just. 
Well, what's interesting is there's this great Hebrew word teshuva, which has shuv in the middle of it, which means turn or return. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And teshuva is the moment when you go, you, you, there's a path, you are on it, you wander into the deep weeds, or you just simply go, there's a better path. Yeah. And, and it's interesting among the rabbis, you don't at that moment beat yourself up over why did I used to believe that. Mm-hmm. You thank God that you've been given this new revelation. Mm-hmm. So you have all of these people walking around going, I'm, I was such a stupid Baptist. What, you aren't not, you see things in a maybe a more better, more integrity, more mm-hmm. holistic approach to life. Not yes, I do. Are you more loving and compassionate than you were? Yes. Then it seems like your first impulse would be gratitude, not flogging. You know what I mean? How many people no, no. have you met are like, yeah. I can't believe I used to believe that stuff, but you don't now. No. Correct. No. So for some reason, the universe, God, ultimate being, whatever, chose to illuminate you. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's just fascinating how modern Western spirituality, so many people are beating themselves up instead of celebrating, I saw it. Yeah. No, I think that's huge because I think you see that a lot in progressive Christianity, how it's still orbiting the the past. Still angry. Yeah, or or, or still either judging. Go go back to your point about being present. It's still still living in the past. (laughs) and. and I, I am who I am because of what I've rejected or I'm different from them. But it's definitely not a feeling of gratitude. No. Right. And yeah, sort um, of this just re, uh, you'll, you'll meet people who are just still like, I can't believe all those people. I can't believe all that. It's part of your story. Yeah. So that's where you come from. I come from Okemos, Michigan. Like every time you hear like LeBron talk, I'm from Akron. I'm from Akron. Mm-hmm. Akron's home. It's so like greatest athlete, yeah. one of the greatest athletes ever. And when the, where he's from, I'm from Akron, the center of the universe. Like whatever it is, just own it. You grew up really rigid. You grew up with no background whatsoever. And he sort of just own it. That's your Akron. That's my story. Oh, right. That's, That's my story. Akron. That's what happened. This is what my parents were like. This is where they took us. This is what I was taught. This is what I used to think. Hmm. I used to be the guy in the corner, you know, whatever it is. There's, um, you transcend and include. You cannot leave that stuff. Hmm. It's a part of you That's and it good. shaped you. And... That's part of where the gratitude comes from. If it had been always awesome, you wouldn't have this depth of gratitude. Oh. Hmm. All right, can I change the subject right now? What? No, we can change it. You're laughing and pointing me. <laughs> I love it. Okay. First of all, I just got distracted because I see the water right out there through the window. And uh, is there a chapter in your book about not being distracted by the beauty of the ocean? <laughs> yes or no? We were do- I was in an event at a hotel on the beach here were these doors that swing out to the ocean and no a dolphin attention. swam by wow. and I was talking and then turned and went, look, a dolphin, and then just kept talking. <laughs> <laughs> See, good. Okay, Did well, they pay attention to you or they start well, watching Well, somebody later made up a mug that they, they made a whole bunch of, who had been at the event, made a whole bunch of like, it was either t-shirts or mugs that said mm-hmm. like, look, a dolphin. Look, a dolphin. Was because it a two-day event? Yeah, because apparently the people who I were there, went to a two-day event and there were yes. no dolphins. It was a different building, probably. What? How come I didn't get a dolphin? Because we heard you were coming. <laughs> That's really hurtful. That's really hurtful. <laughs> Fine. I'm changing the subject now. Okay. Can we talk about Love Wins? You wrote a yeah. book called Love Wins. Do you remember that? Vaguely. You'll okay. remind me. Okay. I'll... You'll refresh me. I'm <laughs> trusting yeah. that. If he doesn't remember, you'll let him know. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. You look at me like I'm the Nazi for remembering everything. I don't know why Nazis remember everything. It's, it's a weird analogy. But Nazis and elephants, they remember everything. Exactly. Now... 
I might be weird because I remember a few quotes from a few books. You wrote a blog series about the book, which I, I did. think the word count was pretty much one for one. Everyone, oh, that's awesome. I blogged all the way through it, mainly because I thought it was an important book, mm-hmm. and and it was getting dinged, and I wanted to how about to to, to to reflect on it because I think it was really important. You said that it was um, uh, like a a better or more accessible version of uh, Lewis's. Um, Divorce? Divorce, yes. Well, yes. I mean, I think, and I think I told you this at, that when we met at Christianity 21, I said that, that I was really grateful for it because I still think that is, that's one of those things that students stumble across mm. and they can't accommodate just kind of a classic orthodox, or I don't know if it's orthodox, but a traditional vision of kind of eternal conscious torment. What do you think and, it is about that that makes it such a hard issue? I think, I think it's because the societies. I think it's uh, – we're, we're more exposed to pluralism because of the internet now, I think. I think, I think we, we, you could kind of live in little cultures of sameness, but, mm-hmm. but now the world is just kind of blown wide open, and this generation is living with a lot of diversity, faith diversity, even lots of you – know, as, as unbelief is mm-hmm. rising, they, but they know good people. Um, and they also struggle – with the problem of suffering and um, they think about things like the Holocaust. And so then you lay on top of all of that the belief that all of those people, God's going to, that they're going to torture for it, eternity. I mean, they, they just can't, that doesn't compute. That doesn't feel, doesn't feel right. Doesn't that was the feel pro- right. And they, and they trust their feelings on this They're And I, and I think they're right for that. Yeah. Um, and I remember vividly, I had a student my, her freshman year and, uh, um, she she raised her hand, and our school is not a Calvinist school, um, we're an Arminian school. But but she raised her hand the first weeks of class and said, "I'm a Calvinist." Like just, do you make her go stay in the hallway? I I, I accepted her, I, I, but I thought it was a weird thing to just describe yourself. Isn't it that interesting way. how yeah. theology is personal? Yeah, and how? she wanted us to know. Yeah. And three years later, I remember her catching me on the campus and just overjoyed and said i do you remember when i said i was a calvinist and i yeah i I do she goes i don't think i believe that anymore and she quote this quote she goes i think love wins in the (laughs) end and i said i i agree and um and for for those kinds of stories that's why i appreciate i appreciate you yeah, writing the book and taking yeah. the hit you did because yeah. it, what, what I told you then at the conference was it makes a difference. It, it saves the faith as as as, as people of faith try to mm. make sense of, of of these kinds of things. Um, they need they need help, and it's nice to be able to handle a book if it can. Wow. I mean, I like Lewis's great divorce, but it's a little weird, mm-hmm. and, and it's a little you know, surely <laughs> like they're taking bus trips to heaven, and they don't. I mean, it's not the most accessible yeah. book. Yeah, so. <laughs> I agree. And so we, we appreciate you writing, writing the book. Thank you. That's from me Thank and you. Richard. Yeah. We're both giving you a appreciate Thank it. you for doing that. That means a ton. You're welcome. Okay, so uh, one of the premises for the book is the idea that love requires freedom. Is that fair to say? Mm-hmm. Yes? I've, I've always thought that, or maybe I just say that after I've read your book, but I, it makes sense to me. Love requires freedom. If you want someone to love you, um, you, they have to give them the option. If you force someone to love you, they typically arrest you for that in the States. Okay. That's that it, love requires freedom. That's just kind of built into the equation. Now here's where it seems like your, 
take on this from your background in psychology is kind of pushing against that. And it's, well, I'll just let you make the kind of what your, your take on it with the, uh, the determinism and how that influences love and affection and how we choose. Yeah, I guess this would be one point of contrast between, and I don't know where, where you would connect with this, but I've always felt, I've always had a very much are very optimistic. So when I was going through college and people handed me Lewis's The Great Divorce and um, that idea that the door of heaven is locked, but it's locked from the inside. Um, I've, al I've always felt that that um, wasn't psychologically plausible, that somebody could resist eternity you know the infinite what, yeah why would that be so hard god i i i just i just um I, I don't know i just don't find it psychologically plausible that somebody could resist like you don't think someone time. could just sit in the corner and say i would rather burn in hell than accept your love like yeah well if god was infinitely resourceful you know and but and plus part of it is also the kind of the psychological perspectives i bring in that freedom is is a, is a capacity that's created that we become more and more free. Go, go, go back to this idea of mm. openness is the, the, the mm -hmm. more and more we become, um, who we're, who we're meant to be education, all the different things where we're, you know, that, 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 that things are, are opening up, mm -hmm. um, not just the cosmos, but human beings. And that, that if, if, if we trace out that trajectory, that ultimately everything gets reconciled to God. So I've always had kind of love it. So, it's the wear down theory. Yeah, yeah. That nobody could resist given in given time. Yeah, but it's but it's but but to me, it, I think it connects back with, which is why I was rereading it coming out here. Um, lots of things you say in um, what we talk about. When we talk about God. When you say everything's connected, and the moral arc of the universe is, you know, bending towards. Justice. justice, you know, that, that mm -hmm. you know, that, 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 that implicit in that view. Yes. I think it has a very hopeful eschatology to use some jargon. Mm -hmm. um, but although, although I definitely, I mean, I understand the concern that we definitely want to somehow preserve the autonomy of the human agent in, in you know, with freedom. Um, but, but you would say that we don't really have freedom, that, that we can't make the choice. It has to be like our wills have to be realigned. And we don't have the capacity to do that, that that's something that God kind of has to do. Is that but, fair? Yeah, I think psychologically I would say that there's volition, there's will, but there's also affections. So I like yeah. Augustine's idea that our hearts are restless and so they rest in you. And so I might be able to choose. I might be free, but if my affections— And we can't change our affections. Um, well, it's harder to, you know, unless something happens to me that changes— you know, my heart. So I think we're a lot, we're free, but we often aren't free in a sense that it moves us forward. We often get stuck because we're loving the wrong things. But so somehow I see God is his salvation is ultimately not just kind of providing you scope to just do whatever you want to do, but, but fundamentally nurturing, healing, gathering our affections. And as those affections get aligned, um, we become free. But that, I, I, and this, this goes, this goes back to kind of like, Tell hard day Chardin that, that 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 this is something that we're moving towards. Mm -hmm. Omega. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're moving towards omega point. Uh, yeah, an uh, omega point where we become free. Hmm. So we're becoming freer 
as as yes. as, as things are moving along. Um, but, and some of us are more or less free, I would argue, yeah. in, in where we are right now, currently. So, so it's not so much that I de- deny the premise. I just think of a of a a, a multi layered vision of what it what absolutely might actually mean. One of the one of the things I was trying to do in the book is throw a bunch of things against the wall because if I just keep throwing them against the wall, there's a chance one of them for somebody will be like the oh. And so part of the freedom thing mm-hmm. is just for the person who that's the, the like the release valve where they right. go, oh, hmm. oh, you're right. If it's love, then you would have to be. And, and actually, the, my point undergirding that was simply all of the people who the thing is so drilled down deep in them. God sends you to. And and and. In my experience, for those, for some folks, if you could just move them to, no, 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 you're you're not forgiving your brother-in-law. You're sending yourself there right now. Hmm. You're creating right. a hell That's right now. So part of the freedom thing for me was for some people, the thing that will open the door into a whole new world for them will simply be this idea. You you're free to create all kinds of stuff right now. What's the response mm-hmm. you've gotten? Um, from, from... You know what I mean. So sometimes sometimes. And I've noticed sometimes you're just trying to give the person the thing, but that like if you add yeah. second, third, fourth insight into that statement, you're like, well, that kind of breaks down. Um, but that one insight, my experience has been for a number of people, when you move heaven and hell into the present and choices we make about the kind of world mm-hmm. we're going to be in, there's a number of people, you're free. You realize that you're free and you can mm-hmm. cling to your story. You can trust a better story about you. You can not forgive, you can be greedy, you can be mean, mm-hmm. you can be nasty, um, or you can, you're free also to create all sorts of interesting things. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Mm. Um, and so that's why I think freedom, there's freedom from, which is all the people who are all excited because I don't have to, and then there's freedom for. And you'll not like, that's why rebels are often terrible leaders as they're preaching freedom mm-hmm. from, we're going to be free from that oppressor. We're going to chop off his head and take over. Then they turn out to be terrible administrators because there's freedom from, which is just, I can tell you what I want to be free from, yeah. but then now that you have freedom, mm-hmm. what are you going to use it for? Hmm. And lots of people get very excited about toppling dictators and being free from their parents and free from rigid systems, mm-hmm. um, which is very different from freedom is for something. Yeah. What will you actually, what will you build? Mm-hmm. What will you make? Who will you help? which I think is very interesting. But I go back, um, DeChardin has deeply shaped me, especially his Omega Point, and the only thing, I mean, the vision that I find absolutely extraordinary is all things being reconciled and put back together in everybody. And it's yeah. interesting, what the first 300 years of church history, the general, yes. mm-hmm. we were much more optimistic, mm-hmm. as many have pointed out. Yeah. Um, and I think in the book, I had a sense that for the people who needed the book, you can only go so far. So if I would have, yeah. what I, I would have been like, actually, I think the only story that resonates in my bones is every single little fragment and shard of it being put back together in some mm-hmm. mind blowing way. For a lot of people, that's just, my editor always says, you got to be a half step, not a full step ahead. But I think that vision comes through the book. <laughs> That's yeah. great. You know, I do think that so, I do think that um, vision does come through the book. And the point about choice is well made because, you know, um, our our preacher is Jonathan Stormont, and he he's preaching a series on hell, and that's exactly the kind of frame he gave oh. hell. 
you know, that it's a choice and, and, and you can have as much hell as you want, you yeah. know, just straight, you know, you know, straight out of kind of love wins and Lewis mm-hmm. and, um, Jana's mom said to me, um, I'd never thought of it that way. Right. And you have all the people like, I'm so glad I love love wins. I'm, I totally don't believe in hell either. Yes, you do. <laughs> you have a television, you have internet and you've seen Sudan. Yeah. You've seen the guy in Ohio who kidnapped yeah. those girls from a couple streets over and had them in his basement for 10 years. Of course you believe in, in, in a hell. Of course you believe in absence, isolation, mm-hmm. alienation, abuse, deprivation of basic human rights. Of course you believe in, no. in, in a hell. Now, a mm-hmm. guy with a pitchfork and a flame thing below the earth or something. But the idea of a hell, the idea of a place that is absent of all that mm-hmm. we cherish and honor about God, love, life, trust, grace. Um, so I think some. So there, ha, there has to. We are free to make those sorts of things, and we do. Mm-hmm. Um, a friend of mine the other day, we had this great conversation. He's like, I just, I have the word. Sin, I just have sin is the completely irrelevant word. And I said, What do you call rape? Yeah, <laughs> so I was like, It's fine. I totally yeah. get it. If you can't use sin, then just what's the word yeah. for the disruption, the destruction of shalom? Um, so if sin is no longer means anything to you and it's got all this other language, you're somewhere then in mm-hmm. your vocabulary, you must have some loaded electric word that you use to describe rape. Yeah. Same with hell. Like, uh, fine, hell is attached to a bunch of things about God that you don't believe in. Fine, then what is your word mm-hmm. for when we turn our backs on everything good and true and beautiful and right and all that? Hmm. Because you've got it in there somewhere. Yeah. Well, who is it? As a Beekner says, you can reject it all you want. It will reappear under a different name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whatever we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's one of the, the powerful <laughs> things about religion mm. is, is it does provide a vocabulary for yes. things that we've just lost the vocabulary for. Right. Um, and if we the only, do... The only words we have for a lot of this stuff is just the language of mental health and, mm-hmm. yeah. you know... Um, yeah. There needs to be a bigger word. And whenever, yeah. some, whenever you see somebody mm-hmm. tossing something, I can't do any of that anymore. I get it. Fine. You got to clean the deck. You got to repaint the house. Fine. But all of those things, uh, <laughs> when we had first planted our church, I was big into like church is such a toxic word. It means we're a faith community. We're a faith community. That's We're, we're a community of disciples. We're a community of disciples. People are like, uh, you mean a church? And I was like, <laughs> we're not Christian. I'm not using the word Christian anymore. It's disciple of Jesus, follower of Jesus. I got this whole thing built into... Our statement of faith is we're making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And so I had this guy type out a whole book, and every page was just we're making disciples oh, who make disciples who make <laughs> disciples. So I was always like, so you guys Christian? Well, you know, we're really followers of Jesus. We're disciples of Christ. We believe it's a way of being in the world that you live with mm-hmm. an abiding trust. And they'd be like, so you, so you mean Christian? <laughs> <laughs> My, the, the church that I started doesn't have the word church in it either. It just says community. And um, that is like one of the biggest regrets I have. I was like, Rob, why don't you just... Give me that email like six years ago. That would really, <laughs> I really would appreciate that. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned. <laughs>